Hey there, you're listening to Frequency Conversations, the podcast about the kingdom of God invading every space in every way. My name is Jeshua. I'm here with Julian and Katia Adams. I love today's episode. We get to talk a little bit about emotional and physical health. We get to hear Julian's story about growing up with chronic health issues. We hear Julian and Katia's perspectives on vulnerability and authenticity. We talk about facing disappointment, living in the mystery, and the importance of forgiveness. I think you'll love this episode. Let's go ahead and dive in. All right, we are back again. Um, in the studio, and by studio I mean a small side room (laughs) of a house uh, that I am house-sitting for right now. But anyway, um, (laughs) good to be back with Julian and Katia today. Um, It's good to be here. It's, we're continuing the Frequency Conversations podcast. Um, We've had a really fun time so far, and excited to dip into a few more topics. Um, I won't say what we wanted to title today's episode. We're just, I vetoed We're that just going to go with dealing with your stuff. Or <laughs> dealing with your poop. That's yes. really what we're going okay. to say. Deal yeah. with your poop, people. You can fill in uh, the lines on that one. <laughs> so just to, uh, yeah, just as a quick intro, just want to say that, um, yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about emotional health stuff. It's a big topic right now. We've got... Um, it's a huge topic both in the church and outside the church around vulnerability, authenticity, stuff like that. Um, but I really love Julian and Katia's perspective on that topic. And so I'm excited to dive into it. Just to start, um, I thought that I'd ask Julian to share just some of his own personal journey um, through, yeah, through health problems growing up and and what that looked like. So Julian, what can you just give us a, a rundown of just some of that stuff from your childhood and then um, how you and God dealt with those things and what that looked like? So, yeah, I think for me, um, I want to give some level of um, kind of background. I got born into a family that were really impacted by a word of faith movement. So our expectation was happy, healthy, whole, blessed and anointed. And if those things weren't in place, there were, might have been something wrong, either sin or, mm. or just, I don't know, you're not giving enough money to the right people. At the end of the day, what that left you with was a sense of disappointment because you obviously weren't living your best life. You weren't living in mm. the perfect will of God if these things were happening. And uh, I was born with what's called um, Pierre-Robin syndrome, which basically means I had a severe cleft palate, which impacted all of my um, nasal passages, all of mm. the ear, nose and throat stuff, all impacted. Um, it meant that my speech was delayed. Um, and as you can hear, I've got a speech impediment as a result. Um, and it also meant that because of the particular syndrome, uh, I didn't quite look... Um, like uh, a normal baby might necessarily look, my chin was very underdeveloped. Mm. Um, 
it meant that I grew up with a clear consciousness and understanding that something was wrong with my body, uh, that something wasn't working right, which was all completely true. But it did shape my inner world in a specific way in that because uh, by the time I, I got to school, I knew I looked different, I sounded different. Um, it meant that my inner world was governed by the sense of not fitting, not belonging, not being part of something. Um, most of my school career was uh, every single day someone making fun of me, mm. someone misunderstanding me, the frustration it produced. Every time I heard someone say, excuse me, can you say it again? Because of my speech impediment, yeah. um, frustrated all sorts of things. And alongside of that, I had this incredible connection with Jesus. Um, as I've said before, I got filled with the Spirit at the age of my, of my end of my third year, beginning of the fourth, so I was aware of His presence. Uh, I honestly can say there was not a day that I didn't feel loved by Jesus. There was not a day that I didn't feel cared for. There was not a day that I didn't feel a deep connection. I loved worship. I met with Jesus um, mm. in the most radical ways. And so I, I was kind of having these two parallel train tracks, as it were, growing up, the sense of connectedness to heaven, but the sense of being completely and utterly um, frustrated with God, frustrated with my inability, frustrated with my um, looks, frustrated with all sorts of stuff on the inside wow. of me. Um, it meant that I ended up being introverted. It meant that I really struggled to talk to crowds. I literally would shut down, get clammy, feel sick if I needed to do a class presentation. Mm. I just absolutely hated uh, the sound of my voice. It was only until my late, uh, until my mid-twenties that I began to get freed up and really understand that my voice was powerful. Um, I just want to say this while I'm talking uh, through this, that what I love about the kingdom of God is that the thing that we think is the most disqualifying factor about ourselves are uh, the thing that we think is the weakest bit about mm. ourselves. And I'm not talking about sin here. I'm talking about characteristics that we feel are the weakest bits to ourselves. God, somehow in his wisdom, uses the weak, um, uses the weak things, uses the thing that yeah. we disqualify ourselves. And he uses that uh, to execute justice and judgment against the works of darkness. So my inability to hear the hearing problems I've had and my, uh, my, the way I speak are the two things that I would say are the weakest things about me. But God's using my speech and my ability to hear his voice mm. to extend his kingdom, <laughs> it's so which beautiful. is the genius of heaven. Yes. Um, but it does pose a massive question for me. Not only did I have to work through all of the emotional trauma um, of people making fun of me every single day, I'm coming home crying. I remember at about mm. the age of 11 or 12, I came home and said to myself, I would not cry again. And for the next four years, I just wow. didn't cry. Um, I, I refused to be hurt by people. And it built up all of these, these walls. Um, it, it produced lots of questions. I felt highly mm. loved by God and, and by the sense of Jesus' nearness to me. But I felt all of this stuff that was wrong with me and I couldn't quite reconcile the goodness of Jesus um, with that, um, not to mention um, the physical problems. So every year of my life in operation up until the age of 18 and since wow. then I'd say every three or four years I've had an operation to this date. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I'm like Jesus, I do healing ministry. Why am mm. I not getting healed? I see people get healed of the, some of the same conditions that I have. Um, what is going on? And so it produces 
stuff inside of you that you have to face. Um, and I think the big thing for me, and this is an ongoing process, and thank God for people and community around me who mm. speak truth to me, um, I've had to face up to my disappointment. I've had to mm. face up to my sense of, it feels like God might be failing me in these areas. Yeah. I've had to talk about this stuff. I've had to have days where I've had to be brutally honest, uh, days where I've said things that I didn't want to say, <laughs> and days where I've been so overwhelmed by the kindness of Jesus mm. through it all. Mm. Um, and I think the the thread that's connected through all of that is not just my circumstantial understanding of the gospel of Jesus, mm. but my objective understanding, the facts as they stand. So as true as it is that I still have the impact of a cleft palate, as true as that is, a greater truth is that Jesus is making all things new yes. because of the cross. As true as it is that I suffer with severe back problems mm. and have seen people get healed and pulled people out of stretches and seen legs lengthen as a result of praying for people and then walking away after some people have struggled with years and years, 30 years of pain getting healed. As true as that is, and as true as the fact that I'm still struggling with pain in my own body, mm. what's a higher truth is that Jesus is coming back and the light of my momentary difficulties will be redeemed all in one amazing swoop and everything will be made new. Mm. And as true as that is, is as true as I'm sitting here believing God for healing to happen any moment. Because mm. the truth is God's kingdom can break out on my body and make all things new in an instant. Yeah. And so my expectation is living in, in numbers of realities, numbers of truths, let me say, but not all truth is equal. There are layers to truth. Hmm. And the greater the revelation I'm getting of God's goodness, the more the truth of my current circumstances is bowing to that reality. Yes. Hmm. And the stopgap between these two truths is called mystery. And I'm happy to live in the mystery because I'm allowing what I see objectively in Scripture and through the life that Jesus lived, the death that he died, the resurrection that he experienced, and now his subsequent glorification and the fact that he's seated at the right hand of God, making all things new. Mm. Those truths are held together in the tension of mystery. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to live in that mystery because the objective truth of God's goodness always trumps my subjective circumstantial truth that I might be experiencing yeah. right now. But what it's meant is facing up to the pain, walking through the pain, facing up to the moments when I'm feeling disappointed by God, facing up to the moments when I'm feeling like, God, are you actually walking mm. with me in mm. the pain? And choosing to believe in those moments that he's still good. And it's not just that he's got a plan for my life through the pain, so I hear a lot of people talking about God's plan for my life through the pain. That is such a, uh, a unhelpful way to view God's goodness because God's not abusive. He doesn't yeah. take me through pain because he's got a plan in it. Yeah. No, no, this is, this is unfortunately the reality of living in a world that's not fully redeemed mm. by his goodness yet. Yeah. But what I do know is that in the midst of the pain, the revelation of his goodness is working things out in a mm. remarkable way. And I think for me, being real, being honest, um, having moments when I'm having to listen to my wife's voice encourage mm. me in the midst of the pain, in the midst of, but hang, this is who you are. 
um, having to have flashbacks of memories of my childhood around mm. the emotional stuff that came with what happens. Every time I get up onto a stage, having to remind myself that God's called me to this and that mm. irrespective of what I sound like, today a sound from heaven going to come out of me. Wow. Mm. All of those things are still challenges that I have to remind myself about the goodness of God. Yeah. It's not mm -hmm. that I'm denying them. It's that I'm choosing to look through them to see the incredible goodness of God in the midst mm. of it. I do not believe that God's ordained this. I do not believe that my sickness, my pain, or any of the things that God has, um, that I'm experiencing, that God has ordained it, or even allowed it in a passive way. I believe God's in the midst of it, 100%. Mm. And I believe that sooner or later I'm going to see healing because that is God's ultimate. Yeah. It's not a lack of my faith because I'm believing God. It's not a lack of my um, holiness because if it was connected to my holiness, there'd be a whole lot more sick people around in the world. <laughs> but what it is connected to is a constant understanding that God is good yeah. yes. and that he's faithful and that despite what I see in my momentary affliction, mm. something beautiful is coming out of it. Yeah. And, you know, as Bill Johnson says, God can win with a pair of twos in his hand. Mm. It doesn't matter what hand is given, mm. God works something good out of it. Yeah. And that's some of my story. Um, yeah, I, I think ultimately for me, when God met with me yeah. in a powerful way, it wasn't just the power encounter that changed me. It was the renewing of my mind. Yeah. It was changing the way I thought about myself. It was reminding myself. I literally had scriptures written on a mirror to remind myself so that, mm. that I'm the head and not the tail. That greater is he who's in me than he that is in the world. That mm. I'm part of a family accepted and beloved. That in, in Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus, I am a conqueror through, in, in all things. Yeah. These scriptures began to shape my thinking and began to shape who I am so that my predisposition in my internal world looked more like what God was saying than what my circumstances yeah. were saying. And wow. I have to come back to remind myself around that. I have to come mm. back to tell myself, this is who you are. Um, I think the other thing to help, just because I'm talking the most right now, and I continue. <laughs> Go for it. This, this is, is good. My this story. Is good. Um, yeah is finding community that believed the best in me. Hmm. You know, we, we, we've been talking a little bit around finding your tribe. And, and for me, that's been one of the most beautiful things. People who began to hold me accountable, not for my weakness or my sin, but they began to hold me accountable for the purposes of God hmm. and the good things that God put in me. And, and I began to believe that, not just to pay it lip service. Yeah. And for a long while, I had to confess it before I believed it. Um, I had to convince myself. But I, I think finding community where I get to be authentic and vulnerable um, has been the most beautiful thing. And I just want to touch on this because I think sometimes when we think authenticity, we think vulnerability um, <laughs> is connected. I want to say that in order to be truly authentic, you have to be vulnerable. But being fully vulnerable is not appropriate for everyone to see. And, yeah. and I think seeing the difference between me authentically being me, yeah. um, both up on stage, and I, I think my friends, close friends would say this, that I am who you see up on stage when I'm off the stage. What mm -hmm. I'm like on stage is what I'm like with my family and friends around me. I try not to delineate between those two. Mm -hmm. But I think 
I, I'm realizing that not everyone gets the joy of me being vulnerable with them, but everyone gets the joy of me being authentically me. Um, and the vulnerability that I've begun to discover that there are a number of things that keep us from being vulnerable. One of the big things for me was shame, that mm. I was afraid to not only live in shame and have shame on me, but, but you know, be shamed by being vulnerable. And when I got to the place of lifting that off and finding trusted friends who believe the best in me and communicating my weakest parts, and I'm not mm. even, again, sin is the lowest dynamic here. I'm not just talking about the weakness in my temptation. I'm talking about the weakness when I listen to myself um, around a sermon that's being replayed or when I'm you know, having to get up in front of people and I feel disqualified. Yeah. I feel um, overwhelmed. Being with friends who get to see me in my vulnerability, mm. when the self-doubt creeps in and the um, conversations that don't agree with heaven about me begin to dominate my thinking. Mm. It's those moments that I'm going to be vulnerable with people and not be afraid of being shamed because yeah. I know that people speak truth into me and finding ultimately rest in God's presence. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think if I'm hearing you right on this, it's not... Um, like you just said, in terms of in the past, you might have been ashamed, so that stopped you from being vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. But that's not the the reality. Is there are different places where it's appropriate for you to be vulnerable, even mm. if shame shame isn't holding you back. And then there are other places where it's not appropriate to be vulnerable because vulnerable vulnerability requires and assumes a level of trust. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And so. I think uh, for for us as we're journeying, all of us as we're journeying into being more fully ourselves and being more present and showing up, uh, we've got to ask ourselves the question sometimes when we're choosing not to be vulnerable, is this an issue of shame in the moment, in which case God needs to help me deal with that? Mm -hmm. Or is this appropriate for me to hold back in this moment because there isn't the appropriate level of trust in this room for me to be fully vulnerable? And as Julian said, vulnerability and authenticity aren't the same thing. Yeah. It's important to be authentic wherever you are, um, but actually levels of vulnerability will be determined by levels of trust in the room. And that's, that's good. That's appropriate. That's called healthy boundaries. Um, and sometimes you can see, you know, when people overshare in <laughs> moments that there's an immaturity of the understanding of boundaries in that moment. And so I think it, this is an important conversation because in the current climate where there's lots of conversation about showing up and being authentic sometimes we can confuse that and become people who feel the pressure to consistently overshare even when there isn't trust in the room and that just becomes inappropriate and becomes a means of us being further hurt in the process um so so i think that you're touching upon something that's really important it's a nuance but it yeah. is really important i i remember when um I was working as a doctor in the hospital, we'd get training around things like vulnerability um, because as a doctor, you don't overshare with your patient because that wouldn't help them. That wouldn't, you, you are authentic, you are true to what's going on, but you understand the nuanced boundaries where you don't overshare about your own emotions, about what they're going through because that doesn't help the patient, that just further burdens them. And so mm, I think, that's interesting. Um, 
I apply that same uh, thinking process through um, when I'm walking through life with people and they're talking to me about things and they're um, whether I'm in a leadership position or not, I kind of think through that. Is this an appropriate moment to be fully vulnerable? Because that's going to put something on the mm. person who's listening to. Or is this a moment for me to be fully authentic, but understand the boundaries of vulnerability? Yeah, I, I think one of the things for me around vulnerability is um, I don't want to be vulnerable with people who aren't in the fight with me, who aren't walking with me and mm. running with me, who aren't... Yeah. Uh, who aren't involved in spiritual battles and victories with me. Mm-hmm. Those are the people I'm vulnerable with because I know they understand something yeah. of the dynamic of what I'm going through. And it's not that we're looking for people who we can all feel sorry together with. That, that's yeah. not what I'm talking about. I, a, a pastor's wife used to say to me, self-pity is the devil's babysitter. It's not about <laughs> us feeling sorry for each other. No, no, it's about us owning our junk. Owning our disappointments, owning our weaknesses and saying, hey, how do we spur one another on to love mm. and good deeds? Mm. How, I'm not talking about, in South Africa, we have a kind of grit and bear it. You kind of get on with it. It doesn't matter what happens. You kind of uh, approach emotion through the sense of, I just need to get on with the stuff. You know, we don't have time to, yeah, you suck it up. Um, and, and unfortunately, it produces unhappy people very often, not that mm-hmm. all South Africans are unhappy. But what I've learned is that it's not about us just passing through the pain without recognizing the pain and asking God to invade the pain. Yeah. That's what it's about. It's yeah. How do I do that? And vulnerably with people who get to at different times work that out. And I love friendship from that perspective. I love friendship with my wife. I love friendship with Jessica because... When I'm down, they get to speak truth into me. When they're down, I get to speak truth to them. But we're in it together. We're, we're, yeah. we're winning something together in those moments. And it's a beautiful thing to, to have that. And if you don't have that, one of the things that I've learned is that Holy Spirit's really good at reminding you of who you are, mm. not who you're not. And yeah. it's a great thing for you to invite Holy Spirit in those spaces and say, come and tell me who I am. Yeah, we're so afraid of Holy Spirit activity in our life because we think He's going to tell us how bad we mm. are. But actually, the Bible tells us that He tells us, He convinces us of our right standing with God. Mm. That's good. Um, what you're talking about vulnerability a lot here, and um, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on accountability. Like, mm. um, in in leadership scenarios in churches, you see you've seen pastors fall because either they're not accountable or they're not vulnerable with the people around them. What what does that look like? What needs to change in order for people to to not um, have those massive moral fa- failures that we see all too often in the church and outside the church? I just want to put a little disclaimer in here, and then I'm going <laughs> to ask my wife. The Bible says that we're careful when we think we're standing, lest we'll fall. Hmm. So the disclaimer is, I've been in ministry for 20 years and I've got another 40 plus years, I'm sure. I'm leaning in on the grace of God here. So I think mm. for both of us, for Kathleen and I, we're leaning in on the grace of God here. I'm saying that just to simply say this, that when we speak around moral failure, it's not from a place of judgment or having it together. It's from the place of going, God, we are so leaning in mm. to your grace because we don't have 
we don't know what's going to happen, but what we do know is right now, we're wanting to pursue the goodness of God. Right now, we're wanting to live the best way that we can in light of the new covenant. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, the people in leadership can struggle sometimes to be to put themselves in places where they are accountable to others because there's this misconception that if we're in leadership, we need to look like we've got it together. Mm. And that's such a lie from the enemy. As soon as we start thinking that, then we enter into a a game of pretending, basically, because none of us has it all together and none of us is perfect in how we live our lives and none of us is perfect in our decision making. But as soon as the enemy can start to convince us that we have to maintain an image of having it all together in order to maintain the leadership function that we're in, then we start getting into this very dangerous circle where we're not really telling anybody the truth about the stuff we're struggling with Mm. for fear of them finding out that we're not perfect, shock horror. Uh, And that just spirals out of control because as soon as you extract yourself from healthy community, who'd be able to ask you good questions and who'd be able to encourage you to be all that God has made you to be, uh, as soon as you extract yourself from those meaningful conversations, then you lose the grace that community is intended for in in terms of helping you run your race. And so I think that's part of the problem where... um, the pressure of trying to look like a leader sometimes makes us feel like we mustn't be accountable with our flaws because what will people think? And that's simply a lie of the enemy. And we've really got to get good. I think as Christians, we've got to get really, really good at identifying the lies of the enemy and not allowing them space to take root. And so for any leaders who are listening to this and are thinking, I don't even know who I'd turn to about the stuff Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with, find someone, anyone, whoever it is, find someone quick. Because if you're in the position where you're saying to me, you don't have anyone in your life that you could be fully truthful with about that stuff that's going on, then that means you are positioned in a place that's extremely dangerous because there's no one who can ask you healthy questions. And and listen, accountability for me isn't simply about, and I think Julian's touched on this, isn't simply about... Um, telling people about all the things you've done wrong and them making you feel bad and you kind of being in this Mm -hmm. slightly um, shame-filled place where you keep telling people just how bad they are, bad you are and they keep agreeing with how bad you are and it just kind of, it's horrible. That's a horrible form of accountability. That's actually the lowest form of accountability. It's important to tell people the real stuff that's going on in our lives. Yes, for sure. But I think the highest form of accountability is beyond the talking to people about the rubbish that's going on or our weaknesses to Mm -hmm. an area of accountability where we're talking about what we carry in God and what's been prophesied over us and what what has been entrusted to us in God and allowing people to keep reminding us of that, asking us questions around that. Mm -hmm. Even if it's saying, listen, you talk to me about this area of weakness in your life what does that look like given what God has entrusted you to? And talking around that then, let's talk about that weakness in the face of who God says you now are. And that totally changes yeah. the dynamic of accountability. So uh, do I love the idea of accountability where we just keep talking about our <laughs> sins and all feel terrible? Not really. That's not accountability that I love the idea of. 
But I do love the idea of being real with people about where we're starting from and where we're at, but also being real with people about the stuff we carry and the stuff God has promised to us Mm. and journeying together with them asking us the hard questions with the stuff we're struggling with, but also asking us the hard questions with what have you done this week with the prophetic words that have been spoken over you and and starting to see accountability from both angles, not Mm. just a shame filled one, if that makes sense. Yeah. My wife is so good. She's brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. So so we've talked about vulnerability, um, what true vulnerability looks like, authenticity, which is very important, um, and then true accountability, the highest form of accountability. Um, what are some other keys to, to emotional health um, that, that you find important um, that, that you don't necessarily hear talked about all the time? Red wine. No, no, just joking. joking. I don't disagree. (laughs) I think there are going to be some very natural um, things that we might kind of... I I think we can sometimes over-spiritualize this conversation. And there Mm. are some really beautiful spiritual disciplines that that I could answer to this and we may well talk about. But I think let's start with some of the more um, just as spiritual but stuff in the natural that's important. Things like make sure you're eating healthy, make Hmm. sure you're exercising, make sure you're having enough sleep. Because when we're trying to deal with areas of disappointment, things that we're trying to overcome, um, if we're not taking care of ourselves in terms of physically, if we're not making sure we're eating okay and sleeping okay and you know all those things the very basic things then we're going to be in a place where we're much more vulnerable emotionally mm. um than we would be otherwise and, and we can try to be kind of over spiritual sometimes without taking care of the very basic needs that god has given us mm-hmm. and god wants us to see to and steward well i mean i think we've talked about community and the importance of community in journeying through um, areas of disappointment and brokenness. Um, what I loved about Julian sharing his story is is really, I think, the overarching idea of not allowing our deepest areas of disappointment or weakness or brokenness mm. to become a seedbed for enemy lies. And I don't know if you picked it up as Julian was telling his story, but I certainly did. In so many moments, he was talking about how he was pursuing truth um, beyond his circumstances, beyond the reality of what he was experiencing. And I think in any moments where we've faced disappointment with God, disappointment with ourselves, when we have an area of hurt or brokenness, the enemy is attracted to those areas. Mm -hmm. He's attracted to those experiences. And he comes in with as many lies as he can throw at us. Lies about the kindness of God. Lies about whether the promises of God really are um, faithful and true, even in your circumstances. Lies about whether you are good enough or have what it takes. Whether you really are worthy of what God's spoken over you. Maybe you've messed up so badly this time that he can't possibly believe the things that he said, right? All of these Mm -hmm. are lies, but the enemy is attracted to moments of hurt and disappointment, moments of weakness and brokenness. And he comes in pursuing us in those moments with lies. And as Christians, we've just got to get wise. We've got to be really understanding in those moments so that 
the the thoughts that are coming into my mind at the moment are likely some of them to be enemy lies and it's yeah. my job to filter them it's my job to pursue truth in this moment and you do that by taking care of your body by sleeping well by eating mm. well by surrounding yourself with community by reading the bible and like Jaden was saying quoting it requoting it until you really believe it mm. um i like to in moments where i'm feeling really disappointed and questioning whether I have what it takes for to do what God has said or whether the promises are even true. I like to get out all the prophetic words that God has spoken over me and I, I sit and read them. And um, uh, if you don't record the prophetic words God speaks to you, I really want to encourage you, record them because it's not in the moments where someone's prophesying over you that you need that word most. It's in the moment where you're most disappointed that you yeah. need that word most. It's in the hmm. moments that you're likely yeah. to forget those prophetic words, yeah. that you need those prophetic words most. And if we don't record them, then we're not going to be able to bring them to mind in those moments. But if yeah. we record the prophecies, and I, I do this so regularly in meetings where uh, enemy lies for some reason are telling me you are nothing and a nobody you can't do this mm-hmm. i i've got them on my ipad i get out the prophetic words and i start reading until i'm able to believe what god said um i was telling julian earlier i was reading one timothy uh, and two timothy today and it's just astonishing as you read those books you see how many times i think it's five or six times throughout those books that paul says to timothy Guard what God has entrusted to you. Guard Mm. the deposit. Fan it into flame. There's a consistent instruction to fight for the truth that God has spoken over Timothy. It's all about the call of God on Timothy. And Paul keeps saying to him, guard it, fight for it, watch out over it because it's been entrusted to you. Mm. And I think that's in in our deepest moments of hurt and pain that's a really good thing for us to do. Get yeah. out those words and remind ourselves of those specific words spoken over us. Yeah. I think, well, at least in my experience, that's a game-changing moment. Those are moments where I start having perspective again and I'm able to shake off the lies that the enemy is speaking to me. You know, I, I always find it interesting that the greatest place of spiritual warfare that happened was at the cross on a hill called Golgotha. The Bible says that the enemies were destroyed at the cross their power well let me say this rather their authority was stripped from them they're still powerful uh, but mm. their power is only enabled by our agreement yes. with with them and Golgotha means place of the skull that's literally what that translation means there I think the greatest place of spiritual warfare for the church is not trying to climb up a high mountain or look for strategic points on the earth it is most often the place of our skull It is in our brain. It's in the activity of what we think, what we meditate on, what we give ourselves to, that is Mm. the greatest battlefield. And when we begin to understand that and apply the finished work of the cross, that all that is necessary for me to stand before God, not only as justified, Mm. as if I've never sinned before, but Mm. now adopted as if I've been caught up into the very life of Christ, which is exactly what has happened. Wow. And I'm now a son. I'm now a daughter of God. It's actually true. When we apply that to our Golgotha, the place of our mind, the place of yeah. our skull, suddenly all the other thoughts begin to find their place. Mm. Now, I think it is high time that we bring back some healthy biblical self-talk. 
Yeah. Uh, they always start talking to ourselves. People say it's the first sign of madness. I'm like, <laughs> great. I'm going to start talking to myself. Yeah, preach to yourself. Yeah. Um, because there is a beautiful thing about the ability for you to not only read the work of God, but hear the work of God. Yes. Mm. That it, it resonates with a frequency that heaven releases so that it becomes part of your core belief system. Yeah. And, and you know, I just know that God has got the best plans for me. Like, I'm convinced more than ever that mm. his plans for me are really good. And I'm going to align myself to what he thinks about me. Yeah. Uh, because I don't want any thoughts in my head that do not agree and resonate with heaven. Yeah. Because whatever I agree with, the Bible says, gives authority and power to be at work in my life. Wherever two or three agree upon touching anything, hmm. it doesn't specifically say who the agreement is with. It says hmm. whoever. So if I'm agreeing with God and his purposes, that power is releasing my life. But if I'm agreeing with the enemy and his purposes, that power is releasing hmm. my life. And wow. so I want to be agreeing and touching upon, as it were, the things of heaven and what heaven thinks, and self-talking yes. that into mm -hmm. my yes. life. Not trying to positively affirm myself, simply taking an objective stance of what God thinks about me and applying that to my life. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, how important is forgiveness in this whole conversation? Um, I think forgiveness is one of those things that really sets, oftentimes sets us as Christians apart from the conversations of emotional health in the world one of the many things, but, um, what, what's your perspective on that? Uh, forgiveness is crucial. <laughs> There's a soundbite. Um, you know, forgiveness is essentially legalism. Hmm. Um, because legalism is a system of thought or a pattern of behavior that is based on a system of justice, you get what you deserve, and so you earn things in legalism. In legalism, you try to be good in order to earn a reward. You try to live according to a certain set of standards, whatever that may be. If it's Christian legalism, then you're looking to the rules of maybe the hmm. Old Testament, and you're trying to live according to a standard because you believe in a system of justice where you get what you deserve. So if I earn enough, then I earn a reward. That's essentially legalism. Yeah. The problem with forgive, uh, unforgiveness is that it's legalism towards somebody else. You're holding someone to a certain level of living and a standard, and because they haven't met it, you want to apply justice. You want to give them what they deserve, yeah, yeah. which is punishment, not grace. Right? You're following hmm. me, right? Well, the Bible tells us that... The, the realm of the law, which is where all legalists live, is uh, the, you know, the realm where justice is applied and where everyone gets what they deserve. But the problem is none of us is perfect. So even the most, uh, most strict legalist can never be perfect enough to, um, to earn enough favor in the realm of the law. That's the problem with the realm of the law. And the problem, the other problem with the realm of the law is that it's a place where the enemy loves to be mm -hmm. because the enemy loves to accuse us. Yeah. And in the realm of the law, he has plenty of material to use because we keep falling short of mm. the standard. Um, that's why legalism is a problem because we become sitting ducks 
um, in the realm of the law where we're trying to earn something, but we can never earn enough. And so the enemy can keep telling us how rubbish we are, hmm. how much we fail. And we, uh, we put ourselves there if we're trying to win things through legalism. Wow. This is the crux of the issue with unforgiveness because we can't be legalistic towards somebody else without being legalistic towards ourselves, which means that if we live in unforgiveness, we place ourselves in the realm of the law, whether we want to or yeah, not okay. for ourselves. Because what we're doing towards someone else is we're saying, I insist that you live in the realm of law. I insist that you get just desserts for what you did. That's unforgiveness. I insist that you get punishment, not grace for what you mm-hmm. did. That's unforgiveness. That means that we're insisting that person lives in the law, uh, but you can't make someone else live there unless you're living there. The realm of grace is a higher realm than the realm of law. And it's a realm that the enemy hates because he can't accuse us in the realm (laughs) of grace. He can't come in the realm of grace and tell you, you fell short of that standard, so you're rubbish. That doesn't apply in the realm of grace because it's undeserved favor. So his accusations become meaningless in the realm of grace. And that's why the Bible says, you know, in Galatians where Paul is talking to the church there and he says, what's happened to you? Who bewitched you? You have fallen from grace. You fall from the realm of grace into the realm of law when you get sucked into Hmm. living legalistically. And this is why I believe that Jesus tells us to forgive. It's not about being nice to somebody else. Be really, really kind as a Christian and forgive undeserving people. No, I, I think there's actually something much deeper than that when Jesus tells us to forgive. And it's that he understands that if we are to live in the realm of grace, if we are to experience the beauty, the fullness of the realm of grace, we have to forgive. Mm. If not, we will get sucked into the realm of law. <laughs> And so this is why I think forgiveness is massively important for the issue of emotional health. Because if you want to be someone who comes into emotional wholeness, there's no other realm you can do that in other than the realm of grace. Because if not, you're constantly going to be beating yourself up in the realm of law. And that's where everyone lives outside of Jesus. Even if people aren't Christians, that's where they live because we're constantly outside of Jesus trying to prove ourselves somehow according to whichever standard that we're choosing to live in. But Jesus has raised us into the realm of grace and he wants us to live there because that's the context of emotional wholeness, mm-hmm. which is why forgiveness is key. Don't If you're listening to this today and you're struggling with unforgiveness and you're saying, but they just don't deserve it. I'm not trying to belittle the pain that you've been through. I'm not trying to belittle what's been done to you. Some of you have walked through absolutely horrific circumstances Mm -hmm. that I I can't even imagine. This isn't about belittling what's been done to you. This is about understanding that unless you forgive, you will never be able to live in the realm of grace for yourself. And that means you will always be robbing yourself of emotional wholeness. That's the reason to forgive. Hmm. Being kind to people, that's wonderful. But also, more importantly, is understanding that when we forgive, only when we forgive, we free ourselves to live in the realm of grace. Hmm. And that's the context where we can find wholeness. You know, one of the most scandalous things about the cross of Jesus is that at the foot of the cross, the victim and the perpetrator get forgiven. Hmm. It's outrageous. And I'm convinced that 
Because Jesus has treated me better than I deserve, I have to treat everyone else better than they deserve. And the thing is, when you stand at the foot of the cross and whatever sin, you can name it, whatever has been done against you, at the end of the day, who is not a liar? Who is not mm -hmm. a thief? Who is not an adulterer? Who is not a murderer? All of us, if we had mm. to be fully honest before the presence of God, realize that our shortcomings, our missing the mark, yeah. has meant that we've not only offended God, but we've offended people around us. Hmm. And the beauty of the gospel is that we get forgiven, we get cleansed from the iniquity of that sin, so that we become, we get infused with, we get transformed into the very righteousness of God. Wow. And it's all based solely on the willingness of God in Christ wanting to reconcile everyone to him. Mm -hmm. That's what it's based on. It's not based on my works. It's not based mm -hmm. on my measure of goodness. Because at the end of the day, my missing the mark has tainted every single aspect of goodness that mm -hmm. I thought I had. Yeah. And because of that, I've honestly learned how to um, live in a place where I said I need to consistently treat people better than I deserve. I remember having to pray for a man who was a key apartheid, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was one of the key guys in the army who literally assassinated people wow. of colour. Wow. And here I am having to pray for this man as a person of colour. Hmm. Everything inside of me is saying, this man does not need to, does not deserve to be blessed. This yeah. man does not hmm. deserve a seat at the table. He's a murderer. He's a racist. And hmm. then I began to realise my own racist tendencies. I began to realise my own murderous thoughts. Because Jesus calls us to live in the realm of grace. And grace means that it's not just your action that counts, it's the intent of your heart wow. that has to be forgiven. Hmm. And suddenly I'm realizing, oh my gosh, everything that I could accuse this man of directly is pointing a finger at me. And grace empowers me to forgive because I realize that I've been forgiven, not just of the actions of my hand, but the intent of yeah. my heart. Wow. And there's something beautiful about living, realizing that because we've been forgiven much, we can yes. love much. That's so good. Wow. Well, we're just about out of time here, but I would love if you guys just um, for this episode, just prayed us out just because that is mm -hmm. such a, a big, a big topic. If um, one of you don't mind just just saying a prayer for all our listeners. Sure, of course. Father, we just thank you that you are the one who brings us into the realm of grace. We thank you that you are the one who is inviting us into a place of emotional wholeness mm. you are the one who is leading us into freedom from shame so that nothing no area of brokenness is allowed to define us anymore or allowed to have a sting uh, over us but we are free from that and in fact you're leading us into a place where our deepest areas of brokenness can become a platform to speak of your goodness and your kindness and so lord i just pray right now for every person hearing this 
that you would bring such a wave of grace over them now that they would be inundated with your goodness and yeah. your kindness, mm -hmm. the affection of your heart and your favor for them wherever they're at, whatever they're struggling with, that Lord, right now you would undo us mm -hmm. with your kindness in how you um, believe in us, how you've called us, how you've made us for great purpose, knowing the moments of uh, disappointment and hurt and brokenness. And so, Father, we just ask for such a deluge of your kindness and grace in this moment that you would equip and empower each of us as you've promised to, and so we know you will, to help us to um, become all that you have already made us to be, to believe your words spoken over us and to walk in them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks, as always, for listening to this episode of Frequency Conversations. If you've been enjoying hearing from Julian and Katia, I would encourage you to go over to our website, frequency.org, to find more resources from them. Earlier this year, our team sat down to figure out the five themes which set our ministry apart from others. These themes were the kingdom of God, the prophetic, the Father's heart, equality, and justice and mercy. If these topics are also what you're passionate about, we'd love to invite you to join our mission by giving on a monthly basis. We do rely on donations in order to run, but we also love giving back to those who give to us. Go over to our website and click the button that says Partner With Us to find out more about our grace giving system. This system means that no matter how much you give to us, we give the same gift back, which is free access to all of our digital content, access to our private Facebook group, which has live sessions, discounts to all our events, and so much more. We hope you find our content valuable, and if you're not ready to give yet, we'll still be giving out so much free stuff on our website, frequency.org. Thanks again for listening.